Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and the generous gifts of our listeners to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you and to the world. If you don't already partner with Fighting for the Faith, visit our website at fightingforthefaith.com and click on one of our friendly yellow buttons. One says join our crew, the other says donate. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. If you want to specify the amount, you click on the donate button or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. And now, on to the program. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith. Monday, January 13th, 2014. Oh, the prophetic utterances are coming in regarding the new year. I'm surprised they're coming in a little bit late this year. I kind of expected them to be just a smidge earlier than they are now. But uh, they're coming in at a good clip, you know. So if you've been waiting and trying to find, you know, the right thing to do, uh, make decisions based upon what the prophets are saying for 2014, well, then you're in the right place. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Rosebro. I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God, because sadly there is no shortage of crazy things being said out there, and we take the time to slow down and stop and compare what people are saying to God's Word in context and gotta tell you there's all kinds of looniness looniness just being said out there and it's all being blamed on the god of scripture the god that's actually revealed in the bible and then when you actually do the work you find out god didn't actually say that in other words we're getting blasphemous false prophecies and blasphemous false teaching being kicked around out there all in the name of jesus which is exactly what jesus warned us about now what we're going to do on today's episode of Fighting for the Faith, I, you know, I have made an executive programming decision. And so let me, let me kind of walk you through what our options were, and then I'll explain what I decided on. <laughs> okay, so, you know, the thing I, I look for every year, every year <laughs> since doing this program, every year is I, I look for and scour the Internet <clears throat> That looking at the usual suspects, if you would, uh, to find out if they're making prophetic utterances regarding the forthcoming new year. Now, this is something we do every year in January. And for some reason, the prophetic claims regarding the new year have been a little slow in coming. Now, I think it might have been the way the week kind of fell. I mean, because the new year was in the middle of a week and stuff like that. And they started trickling in um, last week, but they've now come to a head. And, and so I, I thought, okay, well, all right, I can do a couple of things here. I could, you know, for the next 
week <laughs> of programming, you know, each day have prophetic insights featured on the program to the point where by the end of this week, um, you would have been like prophesied out. That's the, the best way of putting it. Or the other option, uh, which is the option that I've chosen, we can do this like, um, like when you, you know, well, when you have your back waxed, um, <laughs> this is a terrible metaphor. <laughs> You know, you, you you stick the hot wax on there, and you put that cloth on there, and and the and the lady gives you something to put your you know to bite your teeth onto, you know, and then it goes, whoosh, you know, and then you just rip it off, and you go, ah, and then you're done. Okay, now I I shouldn't make a note here. I've never had, <laughs> never had my back waxed, but you know I've seen the procedure done. Let's just. <laughs> Put it that way. Not in person. I've seen it done on television. And uh, it just looks like something I would prefer not to have done to me, like, ever. Not that I need it anyway. But anyway, so <laughs> I know some of you are going, Rome, Rose, bro, you're digging a hole. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. So what we're going to do is we're going to do the back waxing method of dealing with prophetic utterances for 2014. And we're just going to. Do it all in one episode of Fighting for the Faith. So today, (laughs) oh man, I'm just killing myself here. So what we're going to do today is we're going to hear the prophetic um, insights given to a plethora of people today. This is so the first hour is dedicated only to receiving the latest and greatest. 2014 prophecy stuff. So this way, you know, you you can you can sit down with your day planner and plan out your year accordingly. And you know, of course, I know some of you are. You just yeah, you, you can't make a move until the prophets have spoken. So um, we're <laughs> we'll start off with William Tapley's <laughs> Bible prophecies for 2014. We will switch gears and we will uh, go to Barbie Breathitt of XP Media. For good measure, we'll throw in Patricia King, and then we'll even throw in Patricia King's pastor, just to make sure we've got everything well rounded. So you might want to grab your day planner, um, you know, and uh, you know, if, if hopefully maybe you have a day planner on your on your tablet device, or maybe you're old school and you have one of those Franklin Covey book dealies where you actually write these things in. But get your calendar and uh, start planning out your 2014. This hour here at Fighting for the Faith, this is like a uh, a prophetic uh, public service announcement that we're giving you here. We want you to be <laughs> want you to be able to make sure that you can make the right decisions for 2014. Because now that the the prophets have spoken, we can just get it all out there on the table. So that's what we're going to do in hour number one. In hour number two, I think we're going to City of Grace Church to uh, take a listen to another 2014 New Year's sermon. I'll give you details in hour number two when we get there. But uh, since we're going to be starting off with a third eagle of the apocalypse, co-prophet of the end times update, I think it's also important for you all to know that I have made another executive decision. Mm -hmm. Yep, we will no longer be using um, the uh, song, It's the End of the World as We Know It, uh, when we do a William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times update. No, I, I, I've i thought long and hard about this. And... Um and nearly was driven to the point where I felt like I needed to pray. But um, thankfully, I, it didn't get that bad. <laughs> 
But uh, I, I'm thinking moving forward that I think it's since you know, William Tapley has such mad skills on the Casio that William Tapley should really be the one singing his own update music here at Fighting for the Faith. And so we're just going to get right to it. Here's our new William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times, update music, and it's William Tapley himself singing it. Here we go. Doom and gloom coming soon. Listen to Third Eagle's tune. Doom and gloom. God is telling us the end is coming soon. Very soon. You'll see signs up in the sun and stars and moon. Doom and gloom. Very soon. Rapture comes at night or noon. There you go. Doom and gloom. Very soon. If you're ready, you will meet the bride and groom. All right. Doom and gloom. Uh, that's our new William Tapley, Third Eagle of the Apocalypse, co-prophet of the End Times, update music. Now, uh, here's a recent video posted by William Tapley. Of course, he's been Johnny on the spot and getting out his videos uh, to give us our prophetic insights for the year 2014. And this one is entitled, oh, this is such a positive title, too, Bible Prophecy 2014 Rapture and Nuclear War. Yeah, doom and gloom coming soon. Uh, here we go. Welcome to Revelation Unraveled. I'm your host, William Tapley, also known as the Third Eagle of the Apocalypse and the Co-Prophet of the End Times. This is part four in my series on the possible and probable fulfillments of Bible prophecy in this new year of 2014. And I want to talk about the rapture and nuclear warfare. Uh-huh. Sounds... Oh. All right. <clears throat> I'm all for that. Just <laughs> no, actually, I'm not. I'm not for either of those. Okay. Because these two events are related and they come under the category of possible fulfillments. And the reason is because Jesus said many times, you cannot know the day or the hour of these events. He told us very plainly, he will come like a thief in the night. In the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins, the bridegroom comes at midnight, and they were all sleeping, both the wise and the foolish. And of course, midnight symbolizes mid-trib. Of course, there are... A it does? Midnight symbolizes mid-trib? Okay. A lot of false prophets on YouTube who've been telling you that the rapture would occur on Thanksgiving, on Christmas, when Comet Ison goes around the sun, or New Year's. Now I expect them to be telling us that the rapture occurs on Martin Luther King Day, or maybe Groundhog Day. Groundhog Day? That would be a terrible day for the rapture to come, because that means it just keeps happening over and over and oh, Never mind. But I'm here to tell you that they are all wrong. I'm also here to tell you that I do know when the rapture will occur. Are you ready for this? The rapture will occur when you least expect it. Oh, wow. <laughs> he knows exactly when it's going <clears> to... <throat> and I am not 
being humorous. The surprise element of the rapture and nuclear war is critical to our understanding of those events. The point Jesus makes when he says he comes like a thief in the night is that we must be prepared at all times. And as I have now, I agree that uh, Jesus's return will come at a time when we least expect it, and we should be ready for it to happen any time now. I agree. Explained on a previous program, there is a relationship between the hour of the rapture and the hour that Babylon is burned with fire. They occur at the same time. Don't forget that by now famous warning: when the missiles come down. We go up. Uh, when the missiles come down, we go up? Where did you get that from? Now, when I say we, I don't necessarily include myself. And the reason is because I am a practicing Catholic. And as I have said many times, we Catholics are prepared to fight the Antichrist. Uh-huh. We have... Now, if you haven't listened to um, William Tapley talk about this before, he has kind of an interesting eschatology. And the idea is is that if you're a Protestant, you get raptured. But if you're a Roman Catholic, you're not going to be raptured. And you've and if, So if you happen to be a Roman Catholic um, and you don't want to be around for the rapture, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to be around after the rapture, well, you need to become a Lutheran or something like that. Because uh, then you'll be raptured and then you won't have to be here. But if you're a Roman Catholic, you're not going to be raptured. You have to go out into the wilderness, into the desert, and uh, meet Mary out there and, and learn how to use Mary's rosary to defeat the Antichrist. Mm-hmm. Received training in the weapon Jesus will use. And that, of course, is Mary's rosary. Now, on this program, I want to give you the scriptural references which prove that both the rapture and nuclear warfare come unexpectedly. And I also want to... Unexpectedly, and probably in 2014. ...show you how to prepare for these two events. Now, in Matthew's Olivet Discourse, Jesus speaks about his three different end times comings 13 times. Twice, when he is speaking about Armageddon. Twice, when he is talking about judgment. And nine times when he is talking about the rapture. Let's look at St. Matthew's Olivet Discourse, chapter number 24, verse number 37. As the days of Noah were, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. Notice that word coming. He is talking about his coming at the rapture. Uh-huh. Now, just to let you all know... Um there's there's very good biblical reasons for you to not hang on to the concept of the rapture. Mm-hmm. The Bible actually doesn't teach the rapture doctrine. It is a fairly new um, arrival on the scene, if you would. And so I believe eschatologically, we're not looking for two different returns of Jesus. We're only looking for one. And that's one of the major problems of the rapture is, is that it turns Jesus's coming uh, uh, return into kind of like a two-part thing. He comes secretly and then he comes visibly. 
And I think this causes all kinds of confusion regarding Christ's return. So I am not somebody who holds to the the, the belief that uh, eschatologically Jesus is going to come and whisk away his church and then that's going to kick off the tribulation. I think that's the wrong way of looking at things. Um, so the idea here is, is Jesus' return is once and it's visible and not secret. Um, and when he comes, it's it's like a thief in the night. So um, William Tapley is kind of an interesting guy in the sense that eschatologically he's holding to um, kind of uh, a weird view of the rapture, and he's Roman Catholic, which is, again, bizarre. In verse number 39, And they knew not until the flood came and took them all away, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, None of the people living at Noah's time were aware of the coming tribulation for them. They were all unprepared. Verse number 42. Watch therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord will come. This is the third time he's used the word come or coming in regards to his rapture. And in verse 43, but know this. If the owner of the house had known at what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. In verse number 44, Therefore be you also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man comes. I think it's becoming pretty clear that Jesus is emphasizing over and over, you cannot know the timing of the rapture. I would agree you cannot know the timing of Jesus' return. This is true. And verse 46, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. And that is watching. Chapter 24, verse 50, the Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he looks not for him and in an hour that he is not aware of. In chapter 25, verse number 6, And at midnight there was a cry made, Behold, the bridegroom comes, go out to meet him. And of course, this is the parable of the five wise and five foolish virgins. And verse 10, And while they went to buy... Now, the foolish virgins had to go buy oil for their lamps because they were not prepared. The bridegroom came, and of course, the bridegroom is Jesus. Yeah, I agree. The bridegroom is Jesus. Now, let's talk about this for a second, since, I mean, this is all coming under Bible Prophecy 2014, Rapture in Nuclear War. Um, how is it that you are prepared for Christ's return, you know, because in all seriousness, we don't know when he's going to come back, but we know that he will come back. We don't know when the day or the hour is, and he will come unexpectedly. So how is it that you are prepared? And you know, I think back to uh, when I was an evangelical, and uh, you know, I had I sat through, uh, you know, that movie, Thief in the Night, and you know, sang that song, you know, uh, you know, I wish we'd all been ready. And, and I got to tell you that the teaching on the doctrine of the rapture and Christ's return scared me to death. And one of the reasons it scared me to death is because linked with the, the, the teaching of Christ's return 
was this concept of you know of you know the the challenge question: What have you done to prepare for Jesus's return? If if he were to return today, would you be raptured? Is the way it would always kind of come out as the challenge question. And um, there was implied in that question some the, the idea that my salvation, my being ready, um, hinged upon my personal righteousness. Um, that somehow, if uh, if I expect Jesus to, you know, when he secretly returns, to say, "Oh yeah, oh Chris, yeah, I I want him up here, and you know, and for him to snatch me up and rapture me up to heaven, so I can skip the tribulation," um, that somehow that hinged upon my personal sanctification and my personal righteousness, which is terrible, absolutely terrible, and it was a confusion of law and gospel. Here's the idea. In order to be prepared for Christ's return, okay, it's the same. It's the same as being prepared for your own death, and being prepared for your own death, and 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 to be ushered into the kingdom of Christ visibly, um, hinges on salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. Because salvation is by grace through faith alone and not contingent upon anything that you or I do. Our our justification is not determined by our sanctification. Those are two completely different categories. And so the question is this, do you trust Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and for your salvation? Do you recognize that you're a sinner in need of a Savior? And do you trust that Christ is the only solution for that and that he bore all of your sins on the cross? If that is so, and you have faith in him, even though your, your, your righteousness and all of your good works seem like filthy rags, and you know that you are not worthy, well, that's exactly right. It is that, that it, it's your faith that makes you worthy, and your faith is given to you as a gift. You do not need to fear Christ's return. You don't have to worry about being ready for Jesus' return because, number one, we don't know when Jesus is going to return. And over and again, scriptures, the scriptures liken Jesus' return as something that we as Christians look for and hope for expectantly. This is something that this that brings us joy, not dread. And what, one of the things I I really despise about bad eschatological preaching is that there's no joy in the coming return of Christ. Instead, it's always this personal dread of, oh, I I hope I make it. Ah, bad, 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 absolutely bad. Yeah, you are not made worthy by anything that you have done, but because of everything Christ has done for you. And so, you know, I, I wanted to use the occasion of uh, of William Tapley's bizarre video, which, again, it, we could go through this and sit and listen to this uh, in its entirety, and um, it, it might give us some moments where we would roll our eyes and go, what is he talking about? But use this occasion here, then, to talk about something like the parable of the ten virgins. Parable of the Ten Virgins is really simple when you understand, like William Tapley has correctly pointed out, that Jesus is the bridegroom. The virgins, well, those, that, those would be us, right? Um, then the question is, why were some wise and some foolish? Okay, then you interpret this passage using the rule of faith, using the, the other biblical doctrines that teach that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone.
So if we're if we're salvation is a complete gift, and and it's by grace through faith, well then, the wise virgins, they have faith. The unwise virgins, they do not have faith. It's just that simple. It really is that simple. So when the bridegroom returns, some have faith. Others do not have faith. It's not salvation because of something they've done. It's salvation because of something they've been given, something that they have, something that, you know, of the one in whom they trust in. So um, it's foolish to go to your grave without believing and trusting in Christ. It's as foolish as a virgin who is waiting for the arrival of the bridegroom and doesn't have any oil. That's the idea behind that. So, um, yeah, there's our, um, there's our first um, candidate you know, here as we kind of plow through uh, the first hour here as we uh, take a listen to a whole bunch of different so-called prophetic insights regarding the year 2014. And, of course, William Tapley, um, <clears throat> yeah, he's always on the prophetic cutting edge of um, oblivion. And we had to make sure that we got him in the mix. Now, let's uh, switch gears, and uh, we'll go to the Patricia King gang uh, for our next Prophetic Insights for 2014. And since we're doing that, we need to do this. So um, are you hanging? Are you looking forward to finding out what great news uh, God the Holy Spirit is speaking to the <clears throat> prophets um, regarding the year 2014? Well... Here's some more direct prophetic insights um, from the Patricia King gang, at least in the next three segments. Here is Barbie Breathitt talking about 2014 and the double anointing and fire. Double anointing and fire. Here we go. My name is Barbie Breathitt of Breath of the Spirit Ministries, and I'd like to share some prophetic perspectives that the Lord has given me for 2014. We're ending up the year 2013, which has been the year of love, which has been a year of great transition for the body of Christ. And you're probably asking yourself, Lord, where do we go from here? 2014, the number 14 itself means Passover. It means deliverance. It means salvation, a double anointing that is coming for us. All right. So double anointing and Passover and salvation, that's what the number 14 supposedly means. And this is coming from the woman who believed that God was telling her she was going to have a conversation with somebody named Ashley because a truck with the word Ashley drove across her path. And she also believed that God, the Holy Spirit, was speaking to her because a bird flew in front of Patricia King's window. Uh-huh. Let me just put it this way. Caveat emptor. Buyer beware here. It also speaks of a measure of perfection and the fear of the Lord. So we're going to see the fear of the Lord highlighted this year, and the Lord is going to begin to demonstrate and show himself to us in many new dimensions and in different ways, and he's coming in fire this year. What, what does it mean that the Lord's going to reveal himself in new dimensions? Uh, are we talking about the fifth dimension, the sixth dimension, the seventh? What's a new dimension mean? What is that sentence? What's the cash value of that sentence? I want to encourage you because those who have been down under are getting ready to rise to the top. Those who have not felt like they have been a habitation place for the Lord are going to become habitations for him. And we're going to be able to... Those who feel like they haven't been able to be a habitation place for the Lord will be a habitation. Mm-hmm. What exactly does that mean? I... <laughs> Is this is it, any of you listening? Has this resonated with your spirit man yet? Um, ha, you know, because you got to. Oh, that's right. It has to first go through your eye gate and then percolate down into your spirit man. Is this making it through any of your folks' eye gates yet? 
sustain those habitations this time because we've been through the preparation of fire. God's manifestation is going to come through the glory realm. And we're going to be able to understand the things that he has hidden for us in the secret places of his heart. Within each one of us is hidden manna. And within that, there's coming a time when that... So inside of me is hidden manna. I've been trying to get rid of that stuff by working out on the treadmill. Within us is coming forth because we're going to be eating of the heavenly manna that's coming down. The Lord has been digging seven new wells in each one of us. And those wells... So, so God's been digging seven new wells inside of each of us. <laughs> what does this even mean? Bringing up and they're becoming the seven rivers of God. So we're no longer going to flow in just a, a gifting of the seven spirits of God, but a, a river anointing where he's going to begin. So, so in 2014, because God's dug seven wells inside of us, we're all going to have a river anointing. Wouldn't the river anointing put out the fire anointing thing? Because, you, know, you know, fire and water, they don't generally mix well. And those rivers are going to converge into one mighty river where uh -huh. we'll see in Revelation, it talks about the river of life flowing. Right. And beside that river, there were trees that bore fruit 12 months out of the year. Yeah. So God is positioning us to begin to step into the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. Yeah, positioning us to step into the greatest move the world has ever seen of the river anointing. Isaiah 11:2 is where we can find the reference to the seven spirits of God. All yeah, and it has nothing to do with um, the river anointing in 2014. Look it up on Isaiah 11, verse 2. You won't find any river anointings or the word 2014 or anything there. Natural gas and oil is going to be discovered because God is going to bring up the hidden things in the land and the resources that he has placed in the land, but also within us. the great. So if you're into natural gas and oil futures, 2014 is your big year. You might want to really um, buy now before those they're discovered hidden resources and each one of you is going to come forth and you're going to be astounded at the great things that God has placed within you. Uh -huh. So there's mining of treasure that's coming forth yeah. in the hidden places as we see in Isaiah 42. Yeah. Um, also Isaiah 45 is being featured because it's the... Isaiah 45 is being featured now in 2014. Okay. Are you guys writing all this down? Doors. There's a door that's going to be open in heaven, yeah. and there's a door that's open in earth. Yeah. So new doors of opportunity are going to be released to you. New doors of opportunity. Uh huh. You know, so so do I need to pick door number one, two, or three? Is it like that? Focus right now is on the nations. Yeah. So there's a great increase and there's a great movement that's taking place right. where God is going to begin to cause each of us to be a heartland. Our heart begins. So I so I got oh, let me see if I got this right. I got seven wells being dug inside of me by God the Holy Spirit that's going to turn into seven rivers so that I can have the river anointing and then I'm going to become a heartland in 2014. Yeah. Um. <laughs> My question is, what has happened to this woman that she's not even capable of speaking in coherent sentences? Burn with passion for him because it's the Father's heart that he's wanting to reveal to us where all the secrets and mysteries are. And we're going to have a doorway to go into the very heart of the Lord. Where so he's I'm going to have a doorway to go into the heart of the Lord after he digs the seven wells inside my heart that turn into the rivers and give me the river anointing so I can become a heartland and... What? By the way, folks, this isn't Christianity. If you think this is God, the Holy Spirit speaking to her, I think this is like the spirit of like satanic mockery.
speaking through her. This God the Holy Spirit is does not communicate in these non-lucid terms. To begin to share things for us and to us because he's reserved them for this time. There's also going to be new voices and new sounds that are going to arise. You're going to hear new sounds and music that's going to unlock. New sounds. So if, you, if those of you looking for like some new sound for me, good news. Maybe 2014 we might have a turnaround. We might hear a new sound rather than that Justin Bieber sound. There might be something completely new we've never even heard before. New vibrations that are going to begin to release ripple effects. That are so new vibrations that will release ripple effects. Wow. Who, who knew? Sound a clarion call for those to enter into a higher realm of worship that's going to draw down a new anointing and a new form of glory that's going to come. So those new vibrations will start here on the earth and they'll ripple effect all the way up into heaven and and release because there's like some anointing up in heaven that's kind of like sitting on a shelf like close to the edge. And as soon as the new sound and the ripple thing that comes out from it hits that shelf then that new anointing will like fall over and then spill on all of us uh-huh Lord says to seek me while i may be found and i hear the lord saying i'm leaning my ear down close to you uh-huh. where you have felt like you haven't you you heard god say that that god's leaning his ear down close to us heard the lord is moving closer so heaven is coming closer to earth and you're going to yeah, yeah. how much closer like five inches a foot maybe a mile how how, how much closer is that is that gap gonna you know be um you know shortened i'm what does that mean exactly and does it matter how far away heaven is to us i mean does, so god can't bless us unless he's like 10 miles away as opposed to 50 miles away how 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 much is that gap going to be closed the lord beginning to release his secrets to you as we begin to press into him and the lord says the things that we will declare yeah. he will establish for us really that's what he says so there's a healing of the leaves for the nations being released a leaning in of the lord that he's moving in for us to be able to uh, know his plans and purposes. So the Revelation 4 is wide open, the door there that's been given, and there's a clarion call saying, come up here and let me show you things. So the seer anointing uh-huh. is getting ready to move into a whole nother dimension to where we're going to be able to see what the angelic realm is doing so that we can begin to cooperate with it and invite them to come in and minister with us so that the anointing level goes to a whole nother realm. Ah, so the anointing level will go to a whole nother realm where you can have the seer anointing and get a glimpse of what's happening with the angels. <laughs> did, did, did any of that make any sense to any of you? I, <laughs> I didn't get any of it. That's just utter and complete nonsense. Folks, 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 if you want to hear from God, here's what you do. Go grab a Bible, open it up, and start reading it. Don't don't plop yourself down into the middle of, you know, parachute into the middle of a text. Start with the Gospel of John or take the book of Romans or the book of Galatians and read it all the way through. God has so much that he wants to tell you through his revealed written word. And that truly is prophetic. That truly is inspired by God the Holy Spirit. And when you read your Bible... 
you will you will have everything that you need to equip you for every good work that God has called you to. And this is what Scripture says. All Scripture is God-breathed and is profitable for teaching, correcting, training, and rebuking, so that the man of God may be fully equipped for every good work. You don't need the prophets like Barbie Breath at filling your mind with utter and complete semantical nonsense. What you need is the written Word of God. All right, we're up on our first break. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you could do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, at Christian. Quick break. When we come back, we'll finish out this hour of 2014's prophetic insights that you clearly don't want to miss. <laughs> Stay tuned. We will be right back. God doesn't need your good works. Your neighbor needs them. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> presents Church Day Select. And in other news, it seems that the inhabitants of Earth are not the only ones subject to economic slumps. Jensen Franklin, through direct revelation from God, has given us information that says that the unemployment rate within God's own army has drastically risen. Take a listen. Angel came and opened the doors and broke the chains. My point to you is simply this. When you don't pray, angels become unemployed. The greatest tragedy of prayerlessness is the unemployment of angels. Because when you pray, God gives angels their, their orders. When you pray, the spiritual battle in the heavenlies begins to be armed with the prayers of the saints and people binding, and whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Attention, angels. This is uh, the Holy Spirit. I have an announcement regarding the um, latest downturn in the economy. And I understand that a lot of you have been unemployed lately due to a lack of prayer. And I, I wish there was something that I could do about this. But, you know, I feel so powerless when it comes to these kind of things. Um, we, uh, we've uh, created a welfare uh, basket, a spiritual relief type of thing. And uh, so those of you who uh, have been hit hard by the latest downturn and are now finding yourselves unemployed, uh, please uh, proceed over to the uh, <clears throat> relief office and uh, we'll see what we can do to help you out. Thank you. All right. All right. Everyone just calm down. Thank you. 
Now, I know that none of you care to be here, but since we're experiencing a worldwide shortage of prayer, it would behoove you to keep calm and allow us to do our jobs. Gabriel, put your wings down. There's not nearly enough room for that. And Michael, Michael, don't cut in line. I know you're the big cheese around here, but all of us have been affected equally. Wait your turn. Next! What's your name? George. George? Whatever. Where'd you fly in from? South Orange County, California. California? That's frontline enemy territory. How many tours you done down in that kill box? About nine. Oh, you're quite the veteran. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's Rick Warren's territory, right? Yeah, he's got most of the people down there praying for purpose, better sex, other useless junk like that. Those idiots don't even realize they don't need God for such things. I hear you on that one. Now, I know it's not much, but this is what I can give you. It's a premium spiritual relief basket. Thank you. I'll be sure to put this to good use. (laughs) I know you will. Next! What's your name, bub? Harold. Okay. Harold, where are you hailing from? Charlotte, North Carolina. Good gravy. You must really be hurting. Everyone knows that Stephen Furtick's neck of the woods is just filled to bursting with heretical slop. Uh, what are they praying for nowadays? It's the strangest thing. They keep praying to the sun, telling it to stand still. I don't get it. Those morons! Don't they know nothing about astrophysics? If they were to stop the sun, they'd burn half the world to a crisp. Moon rocks have higher IQs than those dingbats. All right, got a relief basket for you. I greatly appreciate the help. (laughs) I know, you're welcome. Next! And your name is... Bob. Bob? I swear, angels these days. All right, Bob, lay it on me. Where you from? Vatican City. Vatican City? (laughs) Are those bozos still praying to dead people and inanimate objects? More than ever. You know, that really frosts my cookies. I mean, seriously. Take Mary, for example. That poor woman has been dead for millennia. She's not answering prayers. Who was the dumb schmuck that thought praying to her would do anything in the first place? Humans! They're so darn gullible sometimes. Anyway, here's your relief basket. Sorry. Just getting real tired of that. Happens every time I give someone a basket. Next! Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All 
Warning, listening to Fighting for the Faith could cause you to become supremely dissatisfied with your beginning of the year prophecy source. Whatever you want to call it. What a load of nonsense. Just a reminder, Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon you and your generous gifts and financial contributions in order to continue to bring Fighting for the Faith to you into the world. And you can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. When you get there, you'll see our two friendly yellow buttons. One says donate, the other says join our crew. When you join our crew, you're signing up to automatically contribute $8.95 every month to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. It is a great way to support us. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount that you would like to contribute, you could do so by clicking on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. And let me thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We cannot do what we are doing here without it. All right, moving along, since we've already done the Patricia King Gang update, let's now continue with a, a prophetic insight uh, video from Patricia King uh, for 2014. Uh, hang on to your hats Here we go. Insights for the new year, for 2014. The Lord has given me a number of them already, but I just want to share a few of them. And one of All right, so God, the Holy Spirit, she's claiming, has already given her a number of prophetic insights for the year 2014, and she wants to share just a few of them with us. Please do, Patricia. Things I see is this emergence of fire. You're going to be hearing a lot about the baptism with fire in 2014. Well, now this is going to get awkward. I mean, you were talking about the baptism of fire and the man of fire all in 2013, and now you're claiming that we're, the, we're going to be hearing about baptisms of fire and fire in 2014, but Barbie Breath had just told us that we're going to have seven rivers flowing out of our heart and we're going to get the river anointing which is it? I mean, because the way I see it, those things should cancel each other out. And then I'm supposed to become a heartland. I don't know what that means, but I mean, well, let's see what God, the Holy Spirit, told Patricia. In fact, there will be the manifestations of fire that are actually going to confront issues of the soul that are out of alignment to God's purposes. But also that fire is going to bring an invitation for purity, for healing, and for deliverance. You're going to see, you know, visitations of the Lord come in fire to literally set people free from afflictions, uh, from physical infirmity, from... Uh, ha- so fire is going to come and free people from afflictions and and physical infirmities in 2014 okay from addictions from all kinds of different things and in the gathering of people together in meetings you are actually going to uh see demonstrations of the fire come okay so this year in 2014 we should see actual physical demonstrations of fire with gathered meetings maybe conferences or things like that held by patricia king going to hit the different nations of the world, and many people are going to come forward with messages about the fire and songs about the fire. In fact, fire is going to be highlighted in 2014. So somebody's going to write a fire message uh, uh, and, and write a fire song. We also know that since Rosh Hashanah, um, you know, in, in September, October of last year, that there's been a uh, movement of the Spirit to open doors for His people. Doors that cannot be closed when God opens it. Doors that no man can shut. And God's going to open for you doors that are going to surprise you, that you're going to go through new doors that will have new realms of blessing for you. Uh, well, I mean, Barbie Brethren was talking about doors. So you guys, are, will the doors be on fire or will the be water from the river anointing coming through. 
through them. 2014. So get ready. I feel the Lord saying, behold, I make all things new. It's a transitional year. You know, we've been in transition, but there's this shift coming that is really changing the face of Christianity. You are going to see in this coming year, the younger generation raised up into apostolic leadership. There's going to be the passing of batons. The older generation is going in. Now, wait a second. This is the Winter Olympic year. Usually the Winter Olympics is not when batons are, are passed. It's during the Summer Olympics that they pass batons not only parenting, but almost like spiritual grandparenting, where they will see the younger generation coming up into their place, and there'll be a lot of connections between the older generation and the younger generation together, moving together on certain uh, projects, gleaning from one another, and it's going to be an amazing thing. There are going to be many new ministries coming into the light in 2014 that once were in obscurity, but now are going to come into more visibility. You are also going to see media explode in the Christian community in 2014. So we're going to see media explosions in the... (laughs) That doesn't sound good. That could be destructive. You're going to see entertainment media, more filmmakers emerging in God's media army. There will be um, television programs, documentaries, uh, feature films that are going to come forth in 2014 that are going to highlight the character, the nature, and the heartbeat of God. There's also going to be continued oil on issues of justice in 2014. So we're going to have oily justice in 2014. Okay. That those things that are out of order will be brought into right order. There will be um, an expansion of uh, workers, a thrust of workers going into areas of the world uh, where sex trafficking is running rampant. In other areas where children are at risk, I see a mobilization of the body of Christ into these areas. I also see more disasters, natural disasters coming in different places around the world in 2014. And there's going to be. Can you give us specifics on these natural disasters? I mean, I'd like to know dates and uh, potential, uh, you know, targets for these natural disasters so that I can plan my summer vacation. I mean, the last thing I would want to do is actually take a summer vacation at a resort where a natural disaster is planned by God to have be occurring in 2014. Do you think you can give us some insights here so that we can uh, you know, avoid those places during 2014? Mobilization of believers, but also massive mobilization of unbelievers who have a heart of compassion for those that are being troubled. So there's going to be crisis intervention teams. When those unbelievers go into these crisis areas, they are going to meet with Christians. So some of the the uh, mandate of the Christian community that's going to hit these crisis intervention opportunities is not only going to be to help the nations that have suffered, but actually to bring in a harvest of those who are unbelievers that are helping with crisis inter- intervention. So there's going to be major uh, deposits of the glory of God on these fields as as this convergence takes place. There's going to be shakings in governments and... Um, okay, so government shakings. Okay. Will that revolve around the natural disasters or have anything to do with maybe FEMA relief? What are you talking about here? 
especially on international levels and global entities of where government um, influence comes together. There's going to be some shakings and some tensions. Pray for those in authority. Pray. Uh, because we're going to need a lot of prayer. There's a demonic agenda that's going to accelerate in the area of sexual orientation. And as far as traditional uh, values of uh, family, there's going to be future assault or uh, further assault on that. But we must stand in what we know God is saying. It is an area where there will be um, in or a season, I should say rather, where there will be a lot of um, um, assault on Christian values. And I want to read to you a scripture out of uh, Daniel 7. And this kind of sums up what I'm, I'm, I'm sensing. It says, He will speak out against the Most High. This is verse 25, by the way, of Daniel 7. And wear down the saints of the Most High. And He will intend to make alterations in times and in law, and they will be given into his hand for a time, times and half time. In other words, it might appear like we're losing a battle, but don't ever believe it. Don't believe it. We w- Yeah, uh, you're kind of just ripping Daniel out of context there and trying to apply it to today's situation. Um yeah. Um, okay. So here we've got all these prophetic insights uh, from Patricia King for the year 2014. And what I find about her is she's not quite speaking the nonsense that Barbie Breathitt spoke. But what I found about Patricia King's uh, prophetic insights, uh, putting air quotes around them, is that they sound pretty safe to me. Uh, she's pretty much talking about the same things happening and continuing in the year 2014. She's, you know, kind of saw, okay, these things are happening. And some of the things that she's supposedly prophesying, it sounds like, you know, she's talking about stuff that she's already got in the works for her XP Media video uh, website and uh, things that are already in the mix. And she's prophetically de- declaring that these things are coming out, already knowing that they're already in the in the hopper. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not... Um, I'm not buying any of it. Uh, I don't think God the Holy Spirit speaks to Patricia King. Why? Well, Patricia King has shown over the years that she's quite astute and uh, um, well-gifted when it comes to twisting God's Word. So let's uh, let's change gears uh, one more time, and let's see if we can uh, get some prophetic insights uh, from Michael Maiden, who is Patricia King's pastor, and see if he can tell us what's going to be happening in the year 2014, the year of double portion, as he says so in this particular video. Here we go. Testimony of God's unfailing grace, faithfulness, and love. The enemy simply can't believe you've made it this far. Not after all the hellish attacks he unleashed against you and your family. You've made it through all those fiery trials, troubles, and traumas because God is with you and God is for you. God was with you then and God is with you now. Because you didn't quit then, you're about to reap now. Talking this morning about double portion fruitfulness and breakthrough. 2014, the year of double portion fruitfulness. <laughs> yeah, well, that explains it. I think Patricia King has been experiencing the double portion fruitfulness blessing already. I mean, long before 2014. 14, the number 14, 7 in, in Bible means perfection or completion, breakthrough. Two sevens means double portion, breakthrough, completion, perfection. 
So we're talking about the year of 2014 being the year of double portion fruitfulness and breakthrough in Jesus' name. Genesis chapter 35. I believe the Lord spoke to me this message. And I- you, you believe God really spoke this to you about the double portion fruitfulness, huh? Okay. I pray it ministers to you and gives you a vision for your life. Everything God does in the kingdom, he does by revelation. Revelation is the instrument of God imparting, like we sang today, let me see things as you see them. Your vision is your future. Your vision, vision being prophetic revelation, understanding, insight, and expectation about the future. Your vision determines what's going to happen. So whenever God has a future for us, he gives us a vision. And that vision is something then we latch our faith onto. If we say yes, God will take care of the rest. Amen? In the kingdom of God, if you can see it, God never shows you something without promising you can, you can have it. In the kingdom of God, if you... Um, really, um, what passage says that? you can see it, you can have it. Genesis 35, verse 16. So if God shows you something, if you can see it, you can have it. Through 19. Then they, they being Jacob and Rachel and their... Genesis 35 says this, okay. Their entourage journeyed from Bethel. And when there was but a little distance to go to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth. And she was in hard labor. Say hard labor. Makes me glad to be a man. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor, said again, hard labor, that the midwife said to her, do not fear, you will have this son also. And it was as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called the name of her son Benoni, which means son of my great sorrow. But Jacob, his father, called his name Benjamin, son of my right hand. Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. Father, anoint your servant and your word and your people. Our hearts are filled with expectation for this new year because you always save the best for last. And we believe, God, the best is yet to come in our life as your children. Thank you, God. Have your kingdom come among us. Your will be done. Bless everyone hearing this word, I pray. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. This story is a remarkable story for all kinds of reasons. Some of them good and some of them not so good. But prophetically, God gave me this story so that I could leap forward. I'll be talking about the idea of breakthrough. Uh, So God prophetically gave you this story so that you can leapfrog into something prophetic. Uh Uh-huh. ...portion breakthrough for a couple of weeks in January. But this idea of breakthrough is shown us in this, in this passage when the Bible says that Jacob felt the urgency, he felt the compulsion to move. Whether that was good or bad in that time, it's going to be good in my message. I'm going to make it good. They're in a journey. Now, your life is a journey. The constant about life is change. Change is the constant thing about life. The people that are most successful in life are usually those that adapt the quickest to change. In the kingdom of God, it is a place of constant change. In this sense, we're going from glory to glory, from faith to faith. God is always moving us on. 
you're going to have a better year this year than last year because you're a better person this year than last year. Uh, Let me help you. You're stronger. You know more. God's poured in. The investment of the kingdom God poured into you last year will pay off in this year. Yeah, but what if this is the year I'm supposed to die? Um, yeah, so you think because I'm a better person, that means I'm going to have a better year? Where does the Bible teach this? It doesn't teach that in this, the passage you just read. By the way, in that passage, um, Rachel died. I mean, she... Uh, we continue. The things that bothered you last year won't bother you this year. The weapons Satan used in that last season will lose their power in this season because you're a different person. It's not that the enemy changed or that his weapons weakened. It's that you have become stronger. Uh-huh. So I'm going to have just a great year because I've become stronger. I mean, I mean, you know, but the, see, the thing is, I mean, none of us knows what this year brings. And God doesn't promise that each year is going to get better and better and better and better and better. I mean, what if this is the year that well, there's like a great tribulation or maybe a you know an, a major economic collapse or you, you know what i'm saying here how could you make such a sweeping promise and then tack it on god because if this doesn't pan out for people people are see here's the problem with this is that when if this year doesn't turn out to be a better year than last year for the people listening to this message rather than say wait a second that you know that michael maiden guy he's a wing nut you know what they're gonna sit there and do they're gonna go oh man there must be something wrong with me or my faith. I mean, clearly something is – what they should be doing is you know, saying this, this doesn't even remotely sound right. How could you make such sweeping promises in the name of God and, and then endanger people's faith in so doing? So we're in this journey. And the idea and journey in Hebrew means to go forward. And so we're going forward. What happens, though, in, because we are just by nature people of... Have you studied Hebrew? Habit. People of religious tradition. That's just a part of us. And so change is hard for almost everybody. And so what happens in religion is that we celebrate something God did. And we make a monument about it. And we incorporate doctrine and celebration and it's good to celebrate what God did but if you let what God did stop you from receiving what God's doing you've misused what God did uh-huh. uh yeah nothing's registering with me I have no idea what he's talking about thank God for what he's done but thank God for what he's doing come on so they're journeying and they're journeying. You know, yelling doesn't make your false prophecy true, by the way. Just because you're shouting it louder doesn't actually make it true. It begins at Bethel, and Bethel means house of God. Yeah, it does. So their journey begins. Jacob had an encounter with God at Luz, which means crooked or perverted place. He said, I didn't even know it, but God was here. He saw angels ascending and descending. He saw the heavens open. He said, this is Bethel, the house of God. And so he's going from the house of God to Ephrath. Ephrath is the derivative of Ephraim. Ephraim was Joseph's second son, and his name means double portion fruitfulness. Right. So that, see, because that's what he named his son, double portion fruitfulness. See, that that means that 2014, well, 
you're going to have double portion fruitfulness because you came to Bethel, the house of God. So, da-da. Uh, <laughs> whew. We've now slipped into the insane again. Oh, this is just great. Let's continue. Ah, Joseph had two sons. His first son was Manasseh, which means to forget. Joseph said, the Lord has made me forget all the pain of my family. Well, why is it that you're picking up on this other son's name about having a double portion? Why can't we get the I forgot um, portion blessing anointing? All the anguish, all the sorrow and trauma. There is an anointing from God, a grace from your beloved God that will heal you from your past. There is a healing reserved for you for every hurt from your past in Jesus' name. There's nothing in your past that can't be healed. There's no memory, no hurt, no trauma, no experience that the love and grace of your beloved God can't heal. Amen? Well, yeah, that's true. Can we talk about the cross and how that's accomplished? If you forgive people that hurt you, God will make you forget what they've done to you. Uh, No, the Bible doesn't say that. It doesn't say if you forgive somebody, God will make you forget what they've done to you. God does not promise through the atonement cosmic amnesia for everybody that you've forgiven a sin of. That's Manasseh. But Joseph had another son after Manasseh, Ephraim. And Ephraim means double portion. There is always a greater anointing on your future than on your past. Uh Uh-huh. You see, that's how I can tell you have an awesome past. Because the enemy hits you so hard in your awesome future. Because the enemy hits you so hard in your past. It's a prophecy of what God has for you in your future. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, see, what do they say? The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I think this kind of helps us, again, or reminds us, again, of what's going wrong with Patricia King. Well, she's a wingnut, and so is her pastor. <laughs> wow, is that just really, really, really bad? Okay, um, we're going to just go ahead and end our prophetic Updates for 2014 there. I think I've had just about enough of that. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. Or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there at pirate Christian. Quick break when we come back. Uh, we're going to be going to City of Grace Church in Mesa, Arizona. Listen to a Terry Christ sermon about big dreams, dreaming big for 2014. Don't want to miss it. We'll be right back. Broadcasting from his mother's basement while in a beanbag eating Cheetos. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. Pirate Christian Radio Theater presents Death of a Salesman. Are ye a salesman? Why, yes, I am. Can I interest you in some... You're listening to Byron Christian Radio.
No, seriously. Starfleet wouldn't have lasted two minutes against the Death Star. Say what you want, dude. Why can't you admit that Star Trek created proton torpedoes first? So what are you saying? Without proton torpedoes, Luke Skywalker would never have been able to destroy the Death Star in the first place. Nuh-uh, bro. He had the Force. You mean midichlorians? That never happened. Those movies were just bad fanfics. Have you two seen any Daleks around here? Uh, no. That's funny. We just picked up a distress signal and decided to check it out. Well, we haven't seen any... Come on, you two! Get in! Run! Never fear, nerds of the world. It doesn't matter whether you're into Star Wars, Star Trek, or Doctor Who. Think Geek has something for almost every fandom around. Celebrate your love of all things nerdy by going to www.piratechristianradio.com forward slash geek. And by clicking on the ad banner, a portion of your purchase will go to supporting Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Number two of Fighting for the Faith sermon review time. But yeah, we're doing the uh, hot waxing technique of getting rid of all of these 2014 year beginning type sermons and stuff. Just <laughs> roll with it, roll with it. That's all I can say. You'll thank me later that I didn't draw this out. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We're an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today's sermon comes to us via City of Grace. Dr. Terry Christ presiding. The name of the sermon series is entitled Big Sky. The name of the sermon is entitled Dream Big. Get ready for one of the worst, and I mean it, one of the worst Bible twists of Ephesians 2 that you could possibly imagine. The sermon begins with pretty much that, and it just gets worse from there. And I'm going to be asking the question along the way of, which major popular celebrity pastor do you think um, Terry Christ is getting this nonsense from and stuff like it? Uh Yeah, I won't reveal that. I'll let him reveal it. But I'll ask along the way, see if you have any guesses as to where this is coming from. So... Let me go ahead and kill the music, and without any further ado, here is the sermon entitled Dream Big from the Big Sky Sermon Series from City of Grace. Here we go. Happy New Year. Hey, one more time, could we put our hands together for Pastor Chris and the worship team? (laughs) That was 
Awesome. Awesome. You know, the first time I heard that song was actually this past summer, and uh, it was at the Hillsong European uh, London Conference, and I was there speaking in the conference that day in the O2 Center, and then that evening... You were speaking at a Hillsong Conference? Oh, that doesn't bode well. Can you say word of faith, heresy? I was there speaking in the conference that day in the O2 Center. And then that evening, Chris Tomlin was leading worship and Judah Smith was preaching. And so at the end of the night in this auditorium that had, it was just filled, must have been 15,000 people there from all over uh, Europe to love Jesus and worship Jesus and learn about Jesus. And then at the end of the message, Judah called Chris Tomlin back out onto the stage and he sang that song. And about 8,000 young adults crowded onto the floor and began dancing. And then before long, and I don't know where it came from, but somebody threw out a beach ball. But this wasn't just an ordinary beach ball. This was a beach ball about the size of a Volkswagen bug. And then another one, then another one, then another one. And before long, this place was just pulsating with thousands of young people dancing and worshiping Jesus and big giant beach balls just bouncing across the floor of the auditorium. And all I could think of was this. It's a fun time to be a Christian. Come on. It's a fun time to be a Christian. I was raised in Christianity, but this is a little different. In fact, I was raised in fundamentalism, which means we had no fun. We were a little dumb and occasionally quite mental, fundamental. But this is fun. This is fun. And it's fun centered on our love and our passionate devotion to one. And that is Jesus Christ who loved us, who saved us, who gave it all. And if he gave it all, why can't we give something back in return, which is a heart of gratitude and lips filled with praise and shouts of joy when we gather together for weekend worship. So thank you, guys. I appreciate all that you do. Well, this weekend, we're launching a brand new series called Big Sky. I want to spend the next few weeks talking to you about finding and fulfilling God's dream for your life this year. And I want to begin on some familiar ground in this first message. And then over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to take you someplace special, someplace unique, someplace that I've never really talked about before. The idea behind the title is this. Because of Jesus, God has invited us to live under a clear and open heaven of grace and favor where possibilities are unlimited. What? Um, we're able to live under a big sky of God's grace and favor where, you know, our possibilities are unlimited. Where are you getting any of that? There isn't a single biblical text that says that. Now, pay attention to what he does here because he's going to do something very sneaky. But we continue. To live under a clear and open heaven of grace and favor where possibilities are unlimited. And that's the very idea that the Apostle Paul expresses to us in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. He says this. So Ephesians chapter 2, verse 7, supposedly, well, in following, teaches that we can have unlimited possibilities and Things like that. Okay, well, open up your Bible. Uh, If you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 2, and let's take a look. And what we're going to do, we're going to apply two rules here of sound biblical hermeneutics, if you would. Uh, Rule number one, context 
Context, context. That's rule number one. You're thinking, oh, that sounds like three rules. Yeah, I know, but it really kind of squishes into one today. So that, those context, context, context. We're going to apply that rule. But the next thing we're going to do is we're going to use a good translation, okay? Pick a good translation and study from it. Do not, and I repeat, do not try or attempt to make sense of God's word while using something like the voice, you know, that emergent so-called translation or uh, the message paraphrase. Yeah, only bad things will happen to you if you do that. You need to get a good translation. I recommend the ESV. This is the translation I work from. The New King James is a perfectly great translation. Uh, the uh, older NIV is okay. Uh, the newer NIV has problems. Um, yeah, but, you know, the NASB is fine. You know, things like get a good translation and stick to it. So I'll be reading from the ESV, although if I, if you want me to, I could actually give you my own translation from the Greek, but I, we won't do that today. So, but I'll make it so you can follow along. So I'm in the ESV, and here we go. We're context, context, context. Let's put this in context using a good translation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. <clears throat> And you, you Ephesians, you Christians in Ephesus, you once were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So now you've heard it from a good translation. Let's listen to what Terry Christ does with this. To us in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning with verse 7. He says this, Now God has us where He wants us. That's good news. What are you reading from? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 7 does not say that. Not in the Greek. Not in a good translation. What are you reading from? He wants us. That's good news. Come on. God has you right where he wants you this weekend. It may not be where you want to be, but it's where he has you. It it may not be all that he has planned for you, but this is where he has you. At this moment in your life, at this moment in time, you are not delayed. You are not derailed. You are not sidetracked. You are not behind and running to catch up. You are right now in this season of your life, right where God wants you. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and celebrate that as a sign of trust in God. 
In fact, why don't you just look at somebody near? Come on, they need to hear it from you. You're closer than I am. Look at them in the eye and say, you are right where God wants you. Come on, tell somebody. God has us where he wants us. With all the time in this world and the next to shower grace and kindness upon us in Christ Jesus, saving is all his idea and all his work. All we do is trust him enough to let him do it. It's God's gift from start to finish. We don't play the major role. If we did, we'd probably go around bragging that we'd done the whole thing. Okay, now, what is he doing? What, where is this from? By the way, this is the message paraphrase. He's pulling a fast one. He's going to exegete a paraphrase and key in on things that are in that paraphrase that are nowhere, nowhere in the original Greek or a good translation. Did each of us by Christ Jesus to join him in the work he does, the good work he has gotten ready for us to do, work we had better be doing. Now, I love how Paul seamlessly transitions from the beauty of our salvation to the importance of our mission. Right there in those few verses, he packages all of it together. We've been saved to serve. God has brought us out of darkness. He has given us life and light in Jesus. He has filled us with hope and promise for the future. And all of that is because he has an assignment for us to accomplish in life. He's got a mission for us. Uh, That text doesn't say anything about God having an assignment for us. One chapter later, Paul continues on with the thought by saying this. God can do anything, you know, far more than you could ever imagine or guess, or request in your wildest dreams. He does it not by pushing us around, but by working within us. His spirit deeply and gently within us. Now, based on that, I want to take a few minutes to share a few thoughts about how to find and fulfill God's dream for your life, because I believe God has a dream for every person. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 7 through 10 are about salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, by Christ's work alone. It is not about finding some dream purpose for your life, and it's not teaching that we have a dream purpose for our lives that we can somehow discover. Now, I'm going to ask the question here. Um, Who do you think, which celebrity pastor do you think um, Terry Crist is getting this kind of nonsense from? Yeah, don't, 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 well, if you think you know, you know, you know, write it down. You may be surprised, okay? Who does this sound like? Does it sound like Rick Warren? Who does, Joel Osteen? Does it sound like Brian Houston? Who does this sound like to you? Which celebrity pastor do you think he's closely affiliated with in this utter nonsense that we're hearing? We continue. Within us. Now, based on that, I want to take a few minutes to share a few thoughts about how to find and fulfill God's dream for your life, because I believe God has a dream for every person. It may be something that he wants you to partner with him in business in order to accomplish. It may be something exceptional that has never been done before in the history of your family. It may be in a new groundbreaking venture or in a ministry that God has called you to. But whatever it is, God has planned for your life to be a unique expression of his nature at work in the world. And Where are you getting this from? Oh, yeah, the message paraphrase of Ephesians 2. Uh-huh. 
were made to dream. It's one of the unique things that makes us human. It sets us apart from every other animal on the planet. God created us, human beings, with the capacity to envision a future that we've never ever thought of in order to enter into brand new realities. And that's what a dream simply is. A dream is an inner picture of a world that is different from the one you are presently living in. I want to say it again because I want to work with that idea for the next few weeks. A dream is an inner picture of a world that you are not presently living in. Yeah, well, thank you for that kind definition and giving us some details of what you think a dream is. Can you show me that definition from Scripture for your life. And you may be here this weekend living in something other than that. You may be here this weekend feeling like your future is filled with pain, feeling that your future is filled with despair, feeling as if your best days are behind you. But I want to invite you beginning this weekend to dream again, because with God in your life, your future is anything but a misery to be experienced. It is a joy to be embraced, a life of fulfillment, a a life of righteousness, a life of productivity, a life of peace, a life of blessing, a life of favor, and a life of increase. And what if you get like the uh, diagnosis this week that you got cancer? Or what if you get, uh, what if you're in a car accident and you're, you know, uh, you're paralyzed? I mean, seriously, how can you be saying these things about God? And, you know, this, this nonsense where God doesn't promise any of this stuff, and yet you have God making these promises that are no long, that are not made for us. Oh man, I mean, th- this is a formula for literally shipwrecking the faith of people because when things go badly, they're not going to question Terry Christ; they're going to question Jesus, or they're going to question themselves and their own faith and their worthiness. And it's just a formula for absolute disaster. Now, notice here, Terry Terry Christ quantitatively is teaching pretty much the same thing we were hearing from Barbie Breathitt, from Michael Maiden, from Patricia King, um, although I won't uh, say we were hearing the same things from William Tapley. But the point is, is that this nonsense that we're hearing from Terry Christ is the same kind of nonsense. The difference is, is that Terry Christ has way better chops. You know, he's a, he's a slick, polished mega church pastor who actually speaks on the seeker driven conference scene and so i mean he he's far more um suave if you would and as a result of his suaviness um you know he, he more people are going to be listening to him than would listen to patricia king but the what he's blowing the same smoke that patricia king and michael maiden were uh blowing it's just that he's blowing it in in a way that looks far more sophisticated, but it's still smoke and nonsense nonetheless. We continue. Life, your future is anything but a misery to be experienced. It is a joy to be embraced, a life of fulfillment, a life of righteousness, a life of productivity, a life of peace, a life of blessing, a life of favor, and a life of increase. On the other hand, you may be here this week. So what you're saying is that 2014 is like the double portion river anointing that catches fire thingy. Okay. Fully aware of your dream. You may be dreaming about a different financial world. You may be dreaming about a different relational world. 
You may be dreaming about a different emotional world. That's what a dream is. A dream is this ability to envision a world different from the kind of life that we're living now. Well, I envision a world free of uh, seeker-driven hucksters like yourself. I envision a world where pastors actually preach God's word instead of teach false narcissistic doctrine like this. Ordinary lives and entering extraordinary new realities. What's the difference between the life you're living now and the life that you could be living? The life God has planned for you to live. It is embracing his will by embracing the dream that he has for you. God is dreaming a dream about your life. Really, what passage of Scripture says that God is dreaming a dream about my life? Hmm? Maybe you wouldn't define it as a dream. I know that for many Christians, when we begin talking about dreams, they, they kind of feel, you know, this sounds self-serving. This Yes, it does. Humanistic. Dreams are less than spiritual. In fact, I've had people say, you know, Terry, when you really get spiritual, then you just don't care about the future. You just kind of go with the flow. But that isn't what the Bible teaches us. So let me... It's weird that you're, you're saying this isn't what the Bible teaches us because the Bible doesn't teach what you're actually teaching. This is bizarre. Less than spiritual. In fact, I've had people say, you know, Terry, when you really get spiritual, then you just don't care about the future. You just kind of go with the flow. But that isn't what the Bible teaches us. So let me broaden the idea this weekend and say, you may not even language your dream as a dream. You may language it as a concern or a cause or a calling. But the fact is, I think we all have something significant that we want to accomplish in life. And our awareness of that is the evidence of a dream that is taking shape in our hearts. Every person has a dream waiting to be born through them. Which means that every dream has a person assigned by God to give birth to it. Your dreams... At what? Every dream has a person assigned to it by God to give birth to it? This is nonsense. This sounds like the, the, the dream version of Mormonism or something. Where are you getting any of this nonsense? This is total bunk. Ah! And then partnering with God in order to fulfill his divine assignment. Now, unfortunately, some people never really embrace their God-assigned dream because the world has a way of contesting our dreams by discouraging the dreamer. Some of you may be here this weekend too discouraged to even care about your dreams anymore. Others may be here too tired to even think about dreaming. Or perhaps you're too busy to think about the future. Perhaps you're just living in survival mode. Just trying to get through this week, hoping to get through this month, longing to make it through the first quarter, hoping that if God is really, really good, you'll still be alive at the end of 2014. I mean, you're not thinking beyond the immediate. You're in survival mode just trying to get by. Others may be too emotionally wounded, or too relationally distracted to dream. Or maybe you're here this weekend and you would say, I'm too old to dream. No such thing. But maybe you've embraced that idea. Maybe you've come to believe that dreaming is a young man's occupation or a, a young lady's 
expression. And, and maybe you're thinking your best years are behind you. And, and here you are in retirement years. And here you are after having fulfilled some dreams. And, and you're thinking, you know, I, I don't have any dreams left. Well, again, you know, I'm thinking I'm too old to be pregnant with a dream. I, <laughs> I mean, the last thing I want to do is have to go through a nine month gestation period to give birth to a dream. I, you know how old I, man, I, I already have my kids, you know, pretty much out of the house. The last thing I want to do is give him, give birth to some kind of dream that I got to raise up. By the way, so who is, who does this guy, where's he getting this stuff from? Who, which celebrity pastor is he closest to? The weird thing is, is that, you know, we just did a, a Rick Warren review where Rick Warren was preaching pretty much a similar kind of theology, if you can call it that, but we continue. He wants you to give birth to, or he wants you to be a part of giving birth to. And you don't have the luxury of not stepping into the dream in faith-filled obedience in spite of your circumstance or in spite of your situation. Oh, you don't have the luxury. You better step into that faith-filled dream. You don't have the luxury of not to. Oh, okay. Now I'm scared. Obedience in spite of your circumstance or in spite of your situation because your dream is your assignment in life. If you hear it that way, then you realize dreams aren't luxuries. Dreams are necessities. I don't have the option to not embrace God's dream for my life because to say no to God's dream is to say no to the will of God. Oh, no. And what Bible passage says this again? Oh, yeah. Not even one. Saying no to God's dream is to say no to the will of God. It's to say no to the divine assignment that God has on my life. And the same thing is true for you. You can't say no to God's dream because it's his plan for your life. And the truth is, we all want God's plan, don't we? Now, big. If I say no, will God, like, smite me and cut me down like the grass, you know, do the mafia dawn thing, you know? I don't know about you, but my biggest dreams in life have always been born in the darkest moments of my life. Big ideas, big dreams rarely come when conditions are perfect. You know, when you're sitting in your chair on Saturday and just enjoying the day and you feel like you've accomplished some good things in the previous season and maybe your bills are caught up to date and and maybe you feel that you've developed a little energy and you're ready to tackle a new project and you're just sitting there saying, God, give me a dream. In those moments of life, I hear nothing from heaven. Well, crickets chirping. I don't even hear angels singing. But it's in those moments in life when I feel stretched. Those moments when I feel that I'm, I'm fully engaged in the plan of God and I'm using my gifts and my talents and my abilities. And, and in those moments when I feel that I'm beyond my grace and I'm just stretched to the breaking point, it is usually in those moments that I feel God tapping on my shoulder, whispering in my ear, saying to me, if you'll trust me, I can take you further. If you'll believe in me, I can do more. If you'll lean upon me, I can make you stronger. And oh, by... Yeah, uh, again... Where does the Bible teach that we should expect this from God? Um, And why should I believe you're actually getting these direct revelations from God at all since you've twisted his word? You've just got to settle into this because dreaming is the future and the future is the fulfillment of what you are dreaming today. Big applause line, but the Bible doesn't teach any of this. Dreams are never convenient. 
That's why I want to take a few minutes to challenge you to set aside all of the things that keep you from dreaming this year. Exhaustion, frustration, emotional depletion. How about sanity, um, maturity? Frustration, emotional depletion, relational Tension. I feel like Dr. Seuss. I'm on a roll. Lay all those things aside and embrace the dream because inherent within the dream is the grace to fulfill it. Really? So if I just sit down and lay aside all the things that are keeping me from dreaming, you know, like sanity, um, good, sound, biblical exegesis, a proper understanding of God's word, just decide to go with it so I can start dreaming something. Uh, th- there's a promise there from God that's nowhere found in Scripture that you're assuring me is there for me, that God's going to give me the grace to fulfill whatever I dream. Oh, man. Kind of obligation. The dream isn't some kind of heavy weight to lay upon you. The dream is the doorway into opportunity. And when you embrace the doorway into God's assignment for your life, along with that comes everything you need to fulfill it. So if I can see it, I can have it. Okay. Lay upon you. The dream is the doorway into opportunity. And when you embrace the doorway into God's assignment for your life, along with that comes everything you need to fulfill it. So let me talk for a few moments about what a dream is. First thing I want you to see is this. A dream is an invitation to partner with God. Would you read that with me? A dream is an invitation to partner with God. Did you know that God is a dreamer? He is. He had a vision of what the world could be before he ever spoke it into existence. He had a dream of forming a family of sons and daughters before he ever sent Jesus to save us and bring us into the kingdom. God is a dreamer. And just as every parent has a dream for their children... God is dreaming a dream about your life. He's got a dream for my life. He's got a dream for us as a church family. He's dreaming about what we can accomplish if we become willing to partner with him and enter into his world of power and creativity. Yeah, I feel like this is like story time with Terry Christ. Tonight's mythological nonsense is brought to you by the letter Q and the number three. I mean, this is ridiculous. I mean, the Bible nowhere teaches any of this absurd nonsense. Oh, God wants to partner with you. You just need to give him the permission to whatever. There isn't a single biblical passage that says this, yet he has the audacity in the sermon to say, oh, the Bible doesn't teach that, while he's teaching a whole bunch of stuff that isn't in the Bible. Bizarro world. We continue. Listen to Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Here's what God says. He says, I know what I'm doing. Oh, man. Again, Jeremiah 29, 11 is not some blanket statement that God is making where he says he's going to make everything just turn out hunky-dunky for all Christians who believe in him. There's a context for it, Jeremiah 29, 11 that must be adhered to. Otherwise, you twist God's word. And, you know, over and again, I have to point this out to people that Jeremiah 29, 11 is written to a very specific group of people. And there's very specific promises in there for that group of people that are designed to give them comfort in a very terrible time in their lives. They, literally, they are a remnant of people who have survived, you know, the, the sacking and destroying of Jerusalem by King Nebuchadnezzar. 
And, I mean, there's just few survivors left, and they've now been brought into captivity in, uh, in, you know, in Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian kingdom. And, I mean, they don't know what, what's going to happen to them next. And all of this has happened as a result of their sin, their rebellion, their idolatry, their refusal to repent. And so finally God executed on the uh, you know the cursing portions of the Mosaic covenant against them and did what he promised to do if they wouldn't obey him and so this is what happened to them. So <clears throat> let me let me read to you Jeremiah chapter 29 context 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 and we'll start at verse 1. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and to the priests and the prophets and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs and the officials of Judah and Jerusalem and the craftsmen and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon. Babylon to Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. Here's what the letter said. It said, Thus says Yahweh, the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all of the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Uh-huh. Now, this is the beginning of the letter. Who's it written to? Not me, not you. Mm-mm. Take wives. Mm-hmm. Okay. And have sons and daughters, take wives for your sons, and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons, and daughters multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city that I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf, and for its welfare you will find, and in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream. Huh. Notice the false prophets are full of dreams that they're into dreaming. Sound like Terry Christ? Yep, it should. For it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in the name in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and I will bring you back to this place. That's verse 10 by the way. Here's 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile." Well, now that you know the context, you know that this is not some general promise to all Christians that God's going to make things hunky-dunky in your life. But we continue. Just for those of you out there that feel as if God is making this thing up as he goes along and he isn't really clear on what he's trying to accomplish, God just says, let me make it clear to everybody. I am God, you aren't, and I know what I'm doing. And then he adds this part to that. He says this, I have it all planned out, plans to take care of you, not abandon you, plans to give you the future you hope for. That's the language of a dreamer. Have you ever noticed the number of times that God speaks to people all throughout the Bible? You... That's not the language of a dreamer. That's the language of a God who's trying to comfort the survivors of, of a terrible war and they've been taken into exile, and they're wondering if God 
hates them or not. If they, you know, and, oh man, this is not the language of a dreamer. And by the way, the false prophets in Jeremiah 29 are the ones described as dreamers. Have you ever noticed the number of times that God speaks to people all throughout the Bible using dreams, visions, and revelations? Hundreds of times, hundreds of times, because a dream. And nowhere in the Bible does it promise us that God will do the same. You're taking a descriptive text and making a a prescription. You can't do that. Dream is an invitation to partner with God. And And there is no, no passage of scripture that says a dream is an invitation to partner with God. A dream always leads to surprising things in life, such as an opportunity for increased faith. The moment we step into God's intended dream, we realize that we need faith. The good thing is, God has already given every person a measure of faith. And then he says to us, if you read my word, you can develop more faith because faith isn't some kind of an accessory attached to the Christian life. Faith is a necessity that drives the Christian life. So you're going to need faith in order to access my assignment for your life. And I'm going to give you a deposit just to get you started with it. Another thing that... Yeah, they're clapping, but the Bible nowhere says this. If it said it, why isn't he actually opening up the Bible and showing us where it says this? It doesn't. A dream does. It opens up intimacy with God. I'm never closer to God than when I'm dreaming with God. When I'm talking with God and envisioning God's plan for my family and for my... I'm never closer to God than when I'm dreaming with God. My my neighborhood and for the church community that we serve together and and for all that's involved in life, it is through the doorway of dreaming that it brings me into a closer connection with God and I find my deepest moments of intimacy when I am connected with God, dreaming about the future he has planned for my life. Uh, So a new form of mysticism, mystical dreaming, it'll cause you to become so much closer to God. If you're struggling with intimacy with God, have you ever considered just sitting down and dreaming with him? I mean, that'll just, oh man, you'll, you'll never be more intimate with God than if you just dream with him. Chapter and verse, please. It also creates room for the emergence of new talents and giftings and abilities When you dream with God about the future, you come fully alive to all of those things. So the question I have for you is this. Do you have a dream big enough to make room for those qualities in your life? Uh, Where in the Bible does it tell me I have to have a large dream? Do you have a dream big enough to make room for those resources in your life? If you don't, I want to invite you to partner with me in my dream because I do have a dream. I'm oh, okay, so I don't have to have a dream. I can just partner with you on your dream because it's so big. But what if I want intimacy with God? I can't get that through you. I want to have intimacy, so I better start dreaming all on my own. Dreaming of building a church centered on Jesus, bound by a common vision, and living on mission. Really, you have a dream about a church that centers on Jesus. Must not be the church you're at right now preaching at because this isn't centering on Jesus at all. I dream of a church that is a city of refuge for those who are hurt by sin and burned by religion. I dream of us multiplying ministries and campuses in order to reach people who are far from God. 
dream- notice he's casting vision here. We continue. Dream of building beautiful, functional buildings that serve as the life center for neighborhoods so we can resource them with care and with ministry. I dream of recruiting more foster care families than we have waiting children so that every child in Arizona will have a safe and loving home. I'm dreaming about a gospel-centered movement where leaders and churches partner together to transform neighborhoods. and. Well, if it's gospel-centered, you can't be a part of it because you're not preaching the gospel communities to the glory of God. I am dreaming a dream, and I would love to have you as a dream partner with me this weekend. A dream is a a way to partner with God and each other. Number two, the second thing I want you to see is this. How does that Disney song go? A dream is a wish your heart makes. When you're fast asleep. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Yes, dreams are the seeds of the future. The seeds. Dreams are the future in seed form today. Just as you cannot reap a harvest without seeds to sow, you'll never reap God's intended future without dreaming his dream. Your seed sown today is your harvest reaped tomorrow, and your dream dreamed today is your future lived out tomorrow. Here's the way the Bible puts it. Matthew 13, 23. The seed cast on the good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news, then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. Now, this is demonic. Let me play that again. Open up your Bible to Matthew chapter 13. Listen again to what he says. I'm going to play it in context and notice which verse he goes to to do this. Here we go. The seeds. Dreams are the future in seed form today. Just as you cannot reap a harvest without seeds to sow, you'll never reap God's intended future without dreaming his dream. Your seed sown today is your harvest reaped tomorrow, and your dream dreamed today is your future lived out tomorrow. Here's Okay, so the Bible talks about dreams, dream today is your future lived out tomorrow, and all that kind of stuff. What verse says that? Here's the way the Bible puts it. Matthew 13, 23. Matthew 13, 23. Okay, now we have the passage. Matthew 13, 23. Now we're going to apply the same rules, context, context, context. And just going to ask you straight up, is this passage about the dream lived today becomes the future tomorrow or anything like that? Okay. Matthew 13, verse 18. Hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what is sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet it has no root, he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what is sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understand it. He indeed bears fruit and yields in one case a hundredfold or another 60, or another 30. This is the parable of the sower and the seeds. This has nothing to do, and I mean absolutely nothing to do, with dreaming a dream. The seed is the word of God that comes to a person and tells them to repent of their sins and be forgiven by the shed blood of Christ. The responses are the different responses that Jesus discusses here. 
you know, these are four different types of people, if you would. The soils are different types of people, and their responses to the word of Christ. This has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with dreaming dreams. Terry Christ here is engaged in a demonic twisting of God's word. The seed cast on the good earth is the person who hears and takes in the news, then produces a harvest beyond his wildest dreams. It's not by coincidence that God uses the word seed and dream right there together. And he's showing us in our lives when we have good hearts, open soil. God doesn't use the word dream in Matthew chapter 13. Listening ears to the voice of the Holy Spirit, that when truth comes as a seed and is sown into our heart, it gives birth to a harvest. Likewise, when we're in the same position and a dream is born in our hearts, then it gives birth to God's future for our life. Let me illustrate. Matthew 13 has absolutely nothing whatsoever to do with that. Illustrate it this way. Over 600 years ago, a Spanish monk by the name of Ramon Lull, was preaching the gospel to the Muslims in Africa. He was martyred for it. He was beaten, left at the edge of death's door, finally rescued by two Italians who put him in their little boat and began to set sail across the Mediterranean on their way to taking him home. As he was in the boat dying, this little monk looked over the westward horizon, lifted his hand and pointed out and said, just almost prophetically, beyond this sea is another great continent that we've never seen. Send men. Send men. Notice that this story is not found in the Bible. Do you think the men, and by the way, if this is a true story and this monk was really speaking prophetically, was the monk talking about sending men to preach the gospel or sending men to fulfill dreams? We continue. And before long he died, before ever reaching the shore. One of the sailors in that boat was Stefano Colombo, and he took that news back and began to share it. And before long, that news was passed from one generation to the next until finally a young boy by the name of Christopher Columbus heard of the words of a dying monk who said, send men beyond this shore because there's something out there waiting to be found. And the dream was born in his heart. And here we are today enjoying America because somebody dared a dream for the benefit of other people. That is the power of a dream. A dream is the future in seed form today. Oh, man. Third thing I want you to see is this. Third is this. We never really choose our dreams. Our dreams choose us. Can you say that with me? We never really choose our dreams. They choose us. Now that may startle you because we all live under this little illusion that we're managing life on our own. But the truth is, the Bible says in James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights. Listen. And that's not talking. James wasn't talking about receiving dreams from God. Your God-given dreams are god ordained assignments that are chosen by him and tailored for your life and you never really achieve them you only receive them you never really choose them they are what chooses you here's what the bible says psalm 47 4 god will choose our inheritance for us uh-huh psalm 47 verse 4 how much you want to bet psalm 47 has nothing to do with dreaming 
Here we go. Psalm 47, it's all of nine verses. Let me read them to you in context. Verse 1. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all of the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout, the Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises, sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all of the earth, sing praises with a psalm. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as a, as the people of the God of Abraham, and the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, did you notice that when I read that psalm, it doesn't say anything about dreaming? Well, here's the verse he was pointing us to again. 47 verse 4, Psalm 47 verse 4, he chose our heritage or our inheritance for us, the pride of Jacob whom he loves. Yeah, the word heritage, he's just trying to make, basically pull a semantic fast one and say, well, see, their heritage is our dream. No, this text doesn't teach that at all. Let me back this sermon up just a little bit. We continue. Here's what the Bible says, Psalm 47 4. God will choose our inheritance for us. See, rather than dreaming your own dream, rather than going after your own ambition. Psalm 47 verse 4 has nothing to do with dreaming a dream. Heritage is not synonymous with receiving a dream from God. That is absolutely demonic and duplicitous, the way you're twisting and mangling God's word. This is blasphemy of the highest order. And Terry Christ, if you do not repent of this, you will have to give an accounting someday to God for this. Rather pursuing your own desires, why not open your heart and say, God, what is it that you've chosen for me? I'll guarantee you, whatever God has chosen for you, it's better than anything you could have imagined on your own. It's more fulfilling. It's more rewarding. It's more satisfying. It'll use your full capacity in a way that brings you fully alive. God's assignment is always better than your carnal dream. So I want to challenge you this weekend, trade it up. Don't give it up. Trade it up. Yeah, trade up your dream. And yet the Bible doesn't teach any of this. This is utterly blasphemous. We continue. Take your dream and put it in the hands of God and say, God, is this what you're dreaming for my life? And if it is, God will give it back to you as an assignment. And if it isn't, he'll give you a better assignment that is much more fulfilling in life. God's dreams are the best dreams. Now, let me talk for just a few minutes about how you nurture God's dreams. If God has an assignment for us, God has a plan for your life and my life and our church and this community and and this generation. Now, notice he's not talking about the six phases of a dream like Rick Warren did. Why? Because the Bible nowhere teaches it. Rick Warren just made it up. It's hard for false teachers to all be in sync. So he's not going to talk about the six phases of a dream, but he's going to talk about how to nurture a dream. How do we connect with that? And how do we nurture that and protect that when we've seen so many people abort their dreams? How do we nurture ours to the glory of God? Abort their dreams. So you're against dream abortion. While millions upon millions of real human infants are being slaughtered through the sin of abortion and murder, you're talking about dream abortion? 
You've got to be kidding me. A couple of thoughts this weekend. First one is simply this. You have to cultivate an attitude of expectation. Did you know that as important as dreams are, they've got to be infused with expectation or you'll always find... Really, where in the Bible does it say they have to be infused with expectation? Find yourself settling for something less? That's why you see Jesus on several occasions in the gospel saying things like this. Be it unto you according to your faith. Yeah, when Jesus said that, he was healing people of diseases and illnesses and things like that. He wasn't helping them fulfill dreams. It's funny that you didn't point that out in context. But then again, if you did, you wouldn't be able to twist the word like this. He did it on a number of occasions. Why is that? I mean, wouldn't you think that he was God? He could just do whatever he wanted to do. If he wanted to heal, he could heal. If he wanted to raise the dead, he could. If he wanted to cast out a demon, he could. If he wanted to cleanse the leper, he could. So why does he say, let this be unto you according to your faith? It's because faith opens up the pipeline for the promises of God to flow through. That's what... Really, and what passage of Scripture says that faith opens up the pipeline for the promises of God to flow through? Chapter and verse, please. That's why God gives us an initial deposit of it so we can get started in this kingdom connection. And then he gives us the pathway to opening up more of it. But without faith, many times, we miss God's plan for our lives. You say, well, if it's God, it'll just happen. Not necessarily. What about your end of the partnership? Well, if it's God's will, it's just going to come to pass. Not necessarily. God is looking for you to produce the faith that he's already given you. So- and yet faith in Scripture, in Ephesians chapter 2, from a good translation which I read from, tells us that faith is a gift from God. Weird, huh? So the promise can meet your faith and you can see the fulfillment of his divine plan. Sometimes we settle for diminished expectations because we live lives that are less than what God intends. Let me illustrate it this way. One of the things Judith and I love to do for fun is, is just look at houses. Anybody like to do that? Yeah, a lot of you. Just driving home, you see an open house, and you know you're not going to buy it, but you just want to go in and see it. You do that, anybody? Anybody pull up to gated communities and wait for somebody else to go through, and then you kind of... Okay, all right. So one of the things we like to do is we, we like to see uh, houses. And we've got a number of friends in the church who are realtors. And a couple of years ago, one of them called us and said, hey, I've got a beautiful house. And I know you guys are, are architecture or uh, aficionados. And so I know you'd love to see it. It's really modern. I've never shown you anything like this at all. And so she said, are you available? So we, we said, of course. And so we met her and climbed in her car. And she drove us into a gated community past dozens of houses to another gated community. Now, come on, guys. It's pretty exclusive if you live in a gated community. But if you live in a gated community within a gated community, that's somebody said, awesome. That's rare air. So here we were. We went into this gated community, drove into the second gated community. And in the second gated community, there were only four houses there. The one we were viewing was the first one. So we got out, went in, looked at it. I kind of drooled everywhere, swept it up off the floor, and we got back out into our car, and, and, and then we headed out. But in order to get back out of that community, we had to turn in the cul-de-sac. Now, remember, 
There are only four houses in this gated community. And as we turned in the cul-de-sac and came around the edge of it, I looked up out the window and there was a little girl. She must have been about 10 years of age. She was the perfect picture of expectation. She had on the sidewalk a lemonade stand. And I looked out and I thought, that is expectation. Doesn't she know she's working with a limited market? To count your parents out, you've got only three other potential customers. I mean, here she is, but that didn't matter to her. She was poised for business. And so many times in life, we tend to look at our circumstances and we allow them to limit us. Man, I'm pinned in here and hedged in here. And the boss said he would never allow me to do that. And, and, and this doesn't seem to be opening up for me. And, and, and we allow all of those circumstances to dictate to our faith instead of allowing our faith to communicate to our circumstances. Jesus gave you faith to speak to the mountain, not to talk about the mountain. Yeah, and uh, which passage of scripture says that again? Not one. This is complete blasphemous, twisting, and false doctrine. None of it's true. Use your faith. Number two, create an environment of incubation. You know, some people never reach their dreams because of the environment they live in. I'm going to talk about that next so week. We're supposed to incubate. So we're like chickens who've laid eggs. We've got a clutch of dreams we've got to incubate. Uh-huh. Week. I don't mean the neighborhood. I don't mean the family of origin. I mean their inner world, their emotional world, their relational world. Everything that takes place in you has greater bearing on what takes place around you than you can even imagine. If you get it healthy inside, it's only a matter of time before you work it out on the outside. But if you don't have it right on the inside, you can fall into good circumstances on the outside and eventually you'll mess them up because you haven't settled health where health is most important. We've got to create an environment for incubation. You've got to nurture the dream in faith. You've got to nurture it in prayer. You've got to nurture it in relationship to God. Your life has to become an incubator for the dream, the assignment, the destiny that God has placed on you. And that's your responsibility. And where does the Bible say any of this? Answer, nowhere. The Bible teaches this nowhere. This is complete vapor doctrine i mean it's it doesn't exist it's just a is this a figment of terry christ's imagination oh but see he speaks it so confidently and i mean of course he's a multi-site megachurch pastor so it has to be true right he's a celebrity he speaks at all the major conferences he he must be telling us the truth right wrong this is vapor theology it doesn't exist anywhere except in the head of Terry Christ doesn't re- exist in God's word. None of this can be derived from a sound text preached and exegeted in context. Your responsibility. Number three, you have to define the beneficiaries of the dream. You know, I've discovered that if the dream is only about you, at some point you'll be tempted to compromise. Times will get hard and you'll say, it's just not worth it. And since it's only about me, Nobody else is going to be bothered. You'll compromise and opt out. 
But if you define the beneficiaries of the dream as being bigger than you, then you can endure difficult times because you know you're doing it for their sake. I watch churches do this. Churches quit changing and growing and reaching out and they make it only about them. And after a while, they begin to shrink and they begin to diminish and nobody's taking risks anymore. And even worse, nobody's troubled that risk-taking isn't happening because it's all about them. But churches like ours who want to reach people far from God, who realize that the local church is the last line of defense between a lost and dying world and a Christless eternity, we're the kind of church that says, God, we're not always going to get it right, but we're going to change and grow and take risks as we need to for one simple reason. We have an assignment to reach this generation with the love and grace and mercy and power of Jesus Christ. And it's not about us, therefore we can't compromise. Actually, you have an assignment to disciple the nations, baptizing and teaching all that Christ has commanded. All this stuff you're talking about, dreaming big, and all this the theology that goes with your vapor theology of dreaming, Christ didn't teach any of this. And since God is the author of all Scripture... Nowhere did Christ teach any of this anywhere. Old Testament, New Testament, epistles, gospels, the minor prophets, the major prophets, none of it. Nowhere is this theology actually found. You are off mission. ...with the vision. Who are you building your business for? For your own self? To your own ego? Or are you building it so you can be a giver, a tither, a builder of the house, a generous person in your neighborhood. Who are you raising your family for? Just so you can get it done and say you didn't mess them up too bad? Or are you raising them because that's God's future in a child-like personality or the form of a child today? Are you saying, look, I'm going to steward this moment because this is my chance to to change the world by raising a healthy, God-loving child? Why do we do what we do? If we do it for our own benefit, we'll find opportunities to compromise. But if we keep our eyes on the benefit of serving others, and most importantly, of serving Jesus, there is no room to compromise with the dream God has given us. Number four, you've got to develop an inner image of completion. You've got to focus on the finish line. Every weekend when I walk in here and open my heart to share... Develop an inner something of completion. Uh Uh-huh, right, yeah. ...share the gospel with you. I'm preaching to you. But I also see another finish line. I see people not reached. People beyond the walls of this auditorium. you got to focus on... Yeah, I see people within the walls of that auditorium who have not been reached with sound doctrine and the biblical gospel. They're right there at City of Grace Church in Mesa, Arizona, in the Scottsdale campus, and the other camp I associated with Terry Christ's multi-site megachurch. They haven't been reached with the biblical gospel because they're not hearing it. They haven't been reached with the message of Christ because they're not hearing it. The finish line, and keep your eyes on it. And for us all, the finish line is, he who has begun a good work in us is faithful to complete it until that day. God is always working in us because he's always leading us into the assignment. And as long as you have breath, you have an assignment. Bam. Let me just say that one more time. Because I know you can come to church with lights and color and cool 
People like Pastor Chris and think, man, church these days is just a young man's game. No, it isn't. We need Joshua's, but we also need Caleb's. And I don't care if you're 70 or if you're 80 or if you're 90. As long as you are alive, you have an assignment. Got an assignment. And sit on the sidelines and let these young folks take over and take off. So I'm going to ask the question one last time. Who does this guy, where is he getting this theology from? This isn't from God's word. Where, who's a major influence in him? I mean, you know, several major celebrity pastors. Who do you think has been uh, one of the largest influences on this guy? He's about ready to reveal it. Listen in. Join in and run with him. Be a Caleb. Be one who says at 85 years of age. The dream is still before me. The dream is still before me. I think about this past Friday night. This past Friday night, we were at the Jobbing.com Arena with Joel Osteen. And it was an amazing night for those who... Yeah, there you go. Those of you who picked Joel Osteen. Ding, 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 ding. Yeah, you, you got it. We're not there. It was an extraordinary evening. At the end of the night, 80% of the people in that auditorium stood and gave their life to Jesus Christ. It was something. No, they didn't. Not at a Joel Osteen event. Nuh-uh. And by the way, becoming a Christian is not about giving your life to Jesus. Becoming a Christian is all about receiving and believing that Jesus Christ gave his life for you for your sins, for your salvation. This is completely backwards, what you're describing here. Beautiful and powerful to experience. And I've known Joel for many years. Joel and Victoria have been close personal friends of ours for many, many years. But the whole time that I was listening to Joel preach that night, I wasn't thinking about Joel. I was thinking about his father, John. John, who was a big hero of mine and a legendary pastor for 30 years in Houston and, and, and a legend among missionaries all over the world. In fact, they gave millions of dollars every year to missionaries for over 30 years. John preached. In fact, there were many weekends when John kept me in the ministry, I'd come home from church and after a difficult weekend say to Judith, isn't there a easier way to make a living. And then we'd climb into bed and turn on the television and there would be Pastor John Osteen, not only preaching to his church, but preaching to America. And there I was states away, young pastor laying in bed, thinking about giving up. And there was John Osteen preaching faith, inspiring me to believe, calling me to trust Jesus, telling me to be strong in affliction. And he changed my life. And so as Joel was preaching on Friday, I could only hear John. And, and I remembered something that Pastor John said at, many of the end, at, at the end of many of his messages. And here's what he would say. He would say this, Great it is to dream the dream when you stand in youth by the starry stream. But a greater thing is to fight life through and to say at the end, the dream is true. That's the spirit of affinity. Yeah, that's, that's great and all, but none of that's biblical doctrine. It's not taught in the Bible anywhere. And he's sure. That's the spirit of one who says, I'm living for a dream beyond myself. I'm going to run my race and then hand it off to the next generation, to the glory of God. And I pray this year, if you're already dreaming big dreams, may God infuse them over the next few weeks with life and faith. May ideas be born in your soul as I'm preaching on the weekend. And may your dreams come flooding forth this year. But on the other hand, If you haven't started dreaming because of fear, 
because of frustration, because of an emotional wound, because of a past disappointment, then my prayer for you is, God, awaken the dream, give birth to the assignment, and may we all enter this year strong, poised on mission to honor you and to do your will to the glory of God in heaven. And all the church said, Hmm. Yeah. Um, how on earth are you poised to give glory to God in heaven and on mission when you're not doing the thing that Christ has commanded pastors to do, to preach the word? The Bible doesn't teach any of this narcissistic nonsense. It calls all of us sinners, me and you included, to repent and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins. Sound biblical doctrine, true biblical theology is so much deeper so much more comforting, so much more profound than this narcissistic, dreamy pablum. Christ Jesus is so much more interesting to hear about than you are. And the sad thing is, is that Terry Christ is so deluded in his false doctrine that he actually thinks he's glorifying God while he's twisting God's word. He actually thinks he's teaching the Bible while he's twisting the Bible. It's unbelievable and sad. He's fallen victim to a very strong delusion, and he's preaching that delusion to thousands upon thousands of others who are succumbing to it, rather than hearing the truth and being brought to penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. Truly, truly sad. So what'd you think? Love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address is talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com or you can subscribe on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian or follow me on Twitter. My name there, at pirate Christian. Till tomorrow, may God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen.